As we continue in our series on the Gospel of Mark, titled Jesus, the Son of God, Suffering Servant, and Savior of Sinners, today we're in Mark chapter 7 again. I want to take this opportunity to thank our beloved brother David Vinnie for standing in and proclaiming the word for the pastor in place of the pastor on last Sunday. Thank you, David, and the Lord bless you for being a faithful steward and servant and giving the pastor the opportunity uh, to be away on last Sunday. We thank the Lord for you. The Lord bless you, my brother, for your faithfulness and dutifully being at your post to serve the Lord and to serve his church. Now today, brothers and sisters, we are in Mark chapter seven, and we're gonna be focusing on verses 14 to 23. <clears throat> So let us begin. Have you ever witnessed a confrontation between people where the truth about one person or one group's, group of persons gets totally exposed? A confrontation where the truth about a person or even a group of people just gets totally exposed in the confrontation. The awkward atmosphere that follows when someone has just been exposed for who and what they really are. The awkward moments that seem to last forever. Like a thick cloud of smoke that takes a while to dissipate. That is the moment we find ourselves in. As Jesus has just exposed his opponent's hypocrisy and now turns his attention to the general public who were witnessing what just happened. They thought they were exposing Jesus. Jesus' opponents, that is to say. They thought they were exposing Jesus, but instead... Jesus exposed them. What had led to this moment? What led to this moment? Okay, for background and context, Mark chapter 7 verses 1 to 13 tells us what precipitated the whole confrontation between Jesus and his opponents, the Pharisees and the scribes who were his opponents. Uh, so Pharisees and scribes who were representing the Jewish establishment from Jerusalem. Let me read it to you as you read along silently. Mark chapter 7 verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, that is the scribes, who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. Now the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, 
but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is to say devoted to God, then you'll no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Here we are in that awkward moment <laughs> where Jesus simply pulls the cover off of the Jewish officials. He just simply exposes them for the hypocrites that they are. And he calls them hypocrites when referring to the prophet Isaiah and pointing out their sin. One example of which is how you treat your parents in direct violation of the law of Moses, the word of God. And you do it because your tradition is more important than the truth. Hmm. So here we are in that awkward moment when Jesus turns his attention toward the crowd of people on the scene in order for him to teach them truth over tradition, holiness over hypocrisy, and inner piety over phony outward performance. That's why Jesus is about to turn now to the crowd, the public. Because God wants people to know the difference between truth versus human tradition. By the way, just a quick connection back to what I was sharing in my thoughts a little earlier about, well, African-American history. You just have a whole lot of people going around these days saying, we just want things to stay like they've been. We just want the traditions, the way we've been doing things, to stay the way they are. To stay the way they have always been. The problem is, is that tradition keeps running into the truth. <laughs> and truth always trumps tradition. Knowing the difference between truth and tradition can save us from hypocrisy and false piety. This is important because the opponents of Jesus had nullified the word of God and replaced it with their own man-made rules for everything. They saw their rules or tradition as filling in details that the Bible did not cover. 
But Jesus proved that they had actually rejected the Bible instead. And as we saw, as we saw in the previous message that I preached on verses 1 to 13, what began as a confrontation between Jesus and his opponents in verses 1 to 13 is not only an awkward moment, but also a teachable moment for the followers of Jesus. Even opposition to Jesus becomes an opportunity for discipleship for those willing to follow him. For those who are paying attention to him. For those who believe in him. Even opposition to Jesus becomes an opportunity for those who are his disciples to learn and to grow. And so his disciples are witnesses to this and his followers are witnesses to this and it's an opportunity for them to grow and among other things, to watch how Jesus exposes falsehood with respect to those who claim to know God, but who, who don't. In verses 14 to 23, Jesus turns to the people in order to address them after what they had just witnessed. Verse 14, Mark chapter 7. And again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and out of the body. Parenthetically, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Pause right there. The scripture says that Jesus summoned the nearby crowd of people in an important message in the moment. The teaching opportunity of this moment cannot be missed because this controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees, this controversy illumines the heart of why Jesus came into the world. And it also underscores the heart of what was wrong with the Jewish leaders and Judaism. Jesus says in verse 14, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Hmm. This summons, listen to me, everybody, listen up, pay attention. May I have your attention, please? 
This summons reminds us of his summons earlier back in Mark chapter 4 verse 3 where he called the crowd to listen to his parable of the sower. It also reminds me of the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 in which Moses summoned the people with these words. Hear, O Israel, listen, O Israel. It indicates that the saying which follows is especially significant for all hearers. Listen, everybody. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this, Jesus says. You know, listening and understanding are both keys to faith. We cannot understand anything without hearing, listening. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verse 17, if you would, please. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. <clears throat> Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now that comes from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith and understanding come as a result of hearing the word. The more we hear the word, the more we develop faith and understanding in our hearts and our heads. The more we hear. I cannot overemphasize the necessity of submitting oneself to hearing the word in the context of the worship of God in the local church. When we submit ourselves to a regular diet of hearing the word in order to heed the word, then the power of the word strengthens our faith and deepens our understanding. This is why Jesus summons the people, Jesus' summons to the people is so important. Oh, they need to hear what he's got to say to them about this confrontation that many of them have just witnessed, this confrontation between he and the Pharisees. Because they need to be able to properly interpret what they have just witnessed. So again, it is a teachable moment for those who are followers of Jesus. Teachable moments are not always easy moments. And teachable moments do not always involve good things that happen, often bad things that happen. God uses those as teachable moments as well. This is a bad confrontation, but it's good for the purposes of God and that Jesus now is going to help not only his disciples, but everybody else who witnessed this understand what's really going on. Now that he has exposed these religious leaders as the hypocrites they were. 
This is why his summons to the people is so important. Listen to me, everyone, and understand. By the way, God not only wants us to listen, but he wants us to listen with the purpose of understanding. You know, I have interacted with and encountered, um, discipled and, and worked with and helped countless people in my decades of ministry, uh, countless people who struggle to understand and who keep struggling to understand. Here's the, here's the, here's the thing to realize about understanding. God will give understanding to us freely. But we got to be willing to listen first. And too many of us are not good at listening. Which is the reason we're not good at understanding. And by the way, when it comes to understanding, you don't always gain understanding the first time you hear something. Some things you have to hear more than once. Some things you have to hear repeatedly until understanding comes. The problem with us in this age is that we're too impatient for that. We're too impatient to allow understanding to formulate and take root in our minds so that we finally get it. Whatever it is that God is teaching us, whatever it is, we're, we're too impatient. We, we want the whole understanding now. And that's indicative of a form of immaturity that is epidemic in our time and in this culture. And by this culture, I mean in the culture of churches these days. I'm not talking about the world. The natural mind cannot understand the things of God. They're foolishness to him or to her. They're laws. You know, the gospel has to transform the lost person, the natural mind. I'm talking about people who are in the church who are supposed to be spiritually minded, still struggling to understand basic things, basic truths about God, still struggling to understand them because we don't listen rightly. We don't listen well. And we won't listen patiently. Some people, you, they come to church and one Sunday, they, you know what, I didn't understand what the, the, the was, I didn't get it, I left. And they'd gone on somewhere else. And you have people who call themselves Christians who bounce from one church to another, to another, to another. Now my grandmother used to tell me growing up, boy, a rolling stone gathers no moss. <laughs> Now, you know what, for years, I didn't know what she was talking about. <laughs> now, I wasn't going to question it, let me tell you that. I just kept my mouth shut, and I just listened. A rolling stone gathers no moss. Now, after a while, as I grew up, I understood what she was talking about. <laughs> I understood what she meant by that. A rolling stone gathers no moss. My life has become an example <laughs> of what my grandmother taught me. Stay put, work hard, keep working at it. If it doesn't work, you can't grow 
bouncing and running from one place to the other, here, there, hither, and yonder. Get somewhere, plant yourself, and gather some moss. <laughs> I'm gathering moss, Sister Gator. <laughs> That's what I'm doing here. <laughs> In my 16 years, pastor gathering moss. <laughs> oh, Lord. Listen, this is one of the things that I like to share with people who visit us. You come the first time or the second time, and you may think to yourself, well, and then, well, I'm going somewhere. Why? Because you want to hear some preacher meet your immediate need. You want some preacher to put his finger on exactly what you're going through today, what you went through this morning, the fight, the argument, the struggle that you've been going through. You want, and soon as somebody scratches that itch, that's where you stay. The problem, you stay long enough until they don't scratch that itch anymore, then you go somewhere. You can't think that way about God and about worship. That is the wrong way to think about it, the wrong way to approach it. This is why I like to tell people, keep coming. No, keep coming. Because the more you keep coming, the more you will experience the presence of God, the more you will understand. You know, I remember years and years, about 30 years ago, I was teaching a Sunday school class in, in, uh, in our congregation uh, that we served in at that time. I wasn't the pastor, I wasn't the senior pastor, I was one of the associate uh, ministers on the church's staff. And, and uh, so I, I was teaching Sunday school and I was teaching Sunday school to a group of professional uh, young adults. It was a large class. Most of them, virtually all of them in the class, were older than me. At that time, uh, these were people in their mid-30s, you know, 35, 40 years old, accomplished professionals. And I remember them coming to me, uh, I don't know, uh, not too long after I taken the class over, the previous teacher had resigned and they didn't have anybody and so they asked me to step up and do it and, and, uh, and I was honored to do it. I was a young seminary student at the time and uh, it was a wonderful opportunity and I was thankful the pastor allowed uh, me to teach them and so I taught them for the next several years. But I remember a group of them coming to me and saying, to, to, uh, yeah, listen, Reverend Fentress, would you, listen, man, if we could just, could you just kind of, in your teaching, could you just kind of, well, come down to where we are. Come down to where we are. You, you, and you, listen, you, 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 you're above us and it's stretching us. And I, and I responded to them. I said, look, um, I understand your struggle. I do understand. I've, I've been there. I understand your struggle. But let me help you with this. If I come down to your level, how will you ever grow? How will you ever grow from where you are to where you need to be? I'm trying to help you get spiritually from where you are to where you need to be. And I can't stay where you are forever and get you to where you need to be. No, I don't need to come down, you need to come up. And you need to work at it. You need to strain at it. You need to put some effort into it. You need to put some time into it. You need to put some sacrifice into it. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray and ask God to help you understand. You need to struggle with what I'm teaching you. 
Because that's what Jesus wants you to do, to come to terms with what he's teaching you. You're not ever going to grow if I just teach you all the same things y'all have always known and the same things you've always been hearing all the years you've been in church. People will come in here sometimes into this church and wonder what I'm teaching. Now, it's not that what I'm teaching is incomprehensible or so scholarly or academic that it's above anybody's ability to understand. That's not the point. The point is that faithful, mature teaching and preaching of God's word is how people grow spiritually, not just running hither and yonder to deal with every little issue that everybody's doing. I can't possibly know everything that every one of you is going through on any given Sunday or any given period in your lives. And I know virtually everybody who's in here now who's not a visitor. I've been deeply intertwined in most of your lives, yet I don't know everything you're going through all the time, but this is what I know. God knows, and God's word will meet needs in your life and in your soul that I have no knowledge of. So what I must do is faithfully teach God's word and take you deeper into it so that the deeper you go into it, the deeper your understanding will be, the deeper your faith will be, and the deeper your healing will be in your life. But that doesn't happen overnight. It's not a microwave. It takes time. It's like slow cooking a roast. Amen? You got to, you just, you got to be patient, you know. You, it takes time if you're going to do it right. We're slow cooking up in here, saints. It's slow cooking. I'm sorry. <laughs> but just, you know, because you, because you ain't going to grow any other way. How do I know that? Because I know it in my own soul and in my own journey. It takes time walking with God. I've been walking with him for over 40 years. Still got a, so much growing to do and so many horizons ahead of me. And it's been four plus decades now. You see, it's about going deep with God, not about this surface superficial business. And if you go deep with God and you patiently listen to God's word in time, your understanding will not only grow, but you'll have the kind of understanding that matters, that is meaningful, and that's transformative. Well, listen, I, 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 we could talk about this all day. Let me move on for the next few moments here. This is why Jesus' summons is so important. Listen to me. Everybody, everyone, nobody's off the hook here. Everybody, from the highest to the lowest, the oldest to the youngest, listen to me, Jesus says, and understand. That's one other thing I know, brothers and sisters. I know, I don't, listen, children can understand the word of God. We have children in this church who've been listening to my preaching, and they can tell you what I said. Don't miss that. That means something. What Jesus says next is complete is a completely fresh perspective on purity and defilement. 
and holiness and, and what it means to be acceptable to God. In verse 15, he says, Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. You know, I like the uh, New King James version of the Bible, uh, how it renders this. Here it is. Let me read it to you. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Mm. There is a parallel account of this verse in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11. Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, just make a note of that, which says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. In other words, what a person eats cannot make them impure, unholy, or unacceptable to the Lord. It is not what goes into a person that defiles, it is what comes out of a person that defiles. This refers back to the original complaint the Pharisees and scribes lodged with Jesus back in verses 1 through 5 that we read earlier. Dr. David Garland comments, and I quote him at this point, Jesus does not differ with the Pharisees only over details such as washing hands. He rejects their whole approach to God's law. They are concerned about surface impurity and surface piety. Jesus is concerned about internal impurity that one cannot wash away by washing the hands. They do not understand that true holiness that imitates God and opens one up to God is something internal, not external, something internal. End quote. Whether you eat kosher or not doesn't matter to God. It is not the type of food which goes into a person that defiles. It is what comes out of a person that can defile them. So Jesus focused from the inside out, not the outside in. This is a radical reorientation of what it means to be holy and acceptable and pleasing to God in the way we live. It completely upends the worldview of the disciples and the detractors of Jesus because it focuses on the heart, which refers to the inner person. The Pharisees and Jewish leaders focused on outward piety and performance instead of the inner attitude of the heart. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and following, Jesus prophetically confronted them with these words, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, 
First clean the inside of the cup, clean the inside of the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. <laughs> Jesus is emphasizing the condition of the heart, the attitude of the heart. He is not interested in outward, empty ritualism. By the way, this is where we, hate, we say, and you've heard me say, if you turn church attendance into an empty ritual, that is no good. Listen, you've got to come with the right attitude of heart when you're coming to church, with an attitude of heart that recognizes that we are coming into the presence of the living God, the almighty God. You see, there are too many people who attend church and who go through all of the machinations of church life, but they do it as an empty ritual, thinking that will save them. No, it won't. The devil can walk into the door of the church every Sunday and walk back out, and guess what? He's still the devil. And there are a lot of people like this who come into church every Sunday and walk out just as lost as they were when they came in. Why? Because the problem is in the attitude of their hearts, the inner person, which they have not allowed the word of God and the gospel to transform them from the inside out. They think outside ritualistic performance is salvation. That is Christianity. No, it isn't. Jesus is ushering in the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah in chapter 31, verse 33, where the Lord says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Jeremiah 31, 33. And also in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 17, the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. You see there, their deeds are a reflection of what's in their heart. And God examines the heart in order to judge the deeds. He doesn't just look at the deeds and ignore the heart. God looks at the heart and judges the deeds and the heart accordingly. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 10. What's in your heart is what matters to God. And I'm not just talking about good intentions, because that's what a lot of people say when they think about what's in my heart. Well, I just tell you, I had good intentions. You know, there's an old saying that says, the floor of hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> there were a whole lot of people in hell who had good intentions. Good intentions, they don't save nobody. No, 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 no. No, the issue of the heart is deeper than just good intentions. Back to Mark, verse, Mark chapter 7, verse 15. There is nothing that enters a man 
from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. This declaration of Jesus can, you know, when you think about it, you, these words of Jesus, this, this is, um, it, it is referred to in a subsequent verse, verse 17, as a parable. Uh, but it can also be referred to as a proverb. As a proverb. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. So it's not that which goes into a person that can defile him, but what comes out of him is what can defile a person. This is, it's a proverb, if you will. It's a proverb, as well as a parable. It is one of many, one of the many wisdom sayings of Jesus in the New Testament. It is similar to the sayings in the Old Testament book of Proverbs in the Bible. It is clear from the context that Jesus is referring here to eating food, by the way. Just, just so we're clear. Because the issue had to do with the argument between Jesus and the Pharisees over his disciples eating with unceremonially unwashed hands. And so the issue has to do with food. And Jesus takes the issue beyond just the washing of hands to deal with the issue of the purity of the inner heart. So the context here has to do with eating food. Let me say this as I come to a close. Part one of this message. I'll pick up with the subsequent verses, God willing, next Sunday. Let me say this. Though the issue of the immediate context here in this episode is about eating food, there are other substances that people consume that can both physically and spiritually defile such as illicit drugs, excessive alcohol, that can have a direct effect on the inner attitude and inner disposition of a person. These substances can cause all kinds of bad and evil things to come out of a person. I remember a relative decades ago who was one of the nicest people you would meet. Fun to be around, fun loving, laugh, uh, tell jokes, have a good old time. Boy, I mean, he was so much fun to be around until he started drinking. After he got a few drinks in him, he turned into someone entirely different. Yeah. Hmm. These substances can cause all kinds of bad and evil things to come out of a person. So while eating food does not defile anyone, ingesting certain other substances can cause a person to defile him or herself. These substances are not only bad for the physical heart, but they are also bad for the inner heart. They can influence all kinds of sinful thoughts, words, and deeds that reflect spiritual and moral defilement from within. There is wisdom in avoiding any type of substance which results in spiritual and moral defilement. Hmm. A word 
to the wise is sufficient. I believe it was Ben Franklin who said that. Whoever said it, it's true. A word to the wise is sufficient. You know, we live in a day and age. Everything that's legal isn't good for you. I'm talking about for your soul, for your spirit, for your spiritual life, for your inner person. Be careful what you ingest so that you're not ingesting demons. Because when you ingest demons, you'll act like a demon. The demons will come out of you in your behavior. This proverb of Jesus is simple and profound and gets to the heart of the matter. Even so, even so, as I close, the disciples of Jesus are having difficulty understanding this proverb according to verses 17 and following. So we will explore their struggle to understand Jesus as he responds next. For the present, let us realize that spiritual and moral defilement come from within the human heart, not from the outside. The condition of the heart is the issue. So how is your heart? What is the present condition of your inner person? What would Jesus say about your inner person? What is he saying about you now? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify your name. We thank you for your word. For your word, O oh God, has saved our souls and your word, O oh God, sanctifies our souls now that we are saved and your word, O oh God, will save the soul of the sinner who has not repented and believed the gospel. We pray even now that the convicting power of your word and your Holy Spirit, the work of your Holy Spirit, will be brought to bear upon the soul of the sinner so that he or she, O oh God, would fall down before you in their heart of hearts with confession, repentance, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Savior who died for their sins, who died for our sins, and who rose again and who reigned supreme. Jesus Christ, our Lord. For every one of us, O God, who are saints, may your word accomplish your purpose in our souls and throughout our lives. And may it overflow from us and impact others whom we touch. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.